you doing? I feel rested, bro. I feel rested and somewhat energized. Um, before I ask you how you're doing, I think I feel somewhat energized because I'm still trying to do what we spoke about last week, which is finding that balance between just the norm and chaos and pursuing that personal growth. I think doing that now and having moments to just, just reflect and to refine the craft on my own is is energizing me. Mm. And also leading to just a positive self-esteem that growth has occurred over the recent years. How are you? No, it's good to hear. No, it's really good to hear. I'm I'm okay mentally. Physically I'm I'm a broken man. I'm officially an old man. Um earlier this week I just had a knot in my lower back and it mm. just gradually got worse and worse and worse. And I think it's as a result of me sitting in the same chair for hours on end, uh just plowing through work and inevitably just com- compiling injury or compiling uh, stress and tension in my lower back. Um, but I've arranged for a physio to to run me through a couple of sessions and I've also got some exercises to do. I'm, I'm officially old, bro. I'm having back trouble. No, you're proactive. Because there'll be many people who will resonate with you right now. I myself is one of them. With that... But how many of us have actually reached out to a physio and said, okay, what can I do about this? Um, off air, we were speaking about the belief that we can all self-heal, um, almost having that Wolverine ability. Mm. I think on some occasions it's sheer laziness. And on other occasions it's pure arrogance. So we just believe, you know, it will, it will sort itself out. <laughs> but often it doesn't. So yeah, that's, it's a note taken to actually... Uh, be proactive and look to see what can be done in those instances. Yeah, when it comes to the back, I don't mess about. You only get one back, and as soon as once it's a write off, it's a write off for the rest of your life. So I'm not taking yes. any chances. Agreed. It has been Mental Health Week. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's a Happy Mental Health Awareness Week. Is that is that what we say in this instance or? Um, welcome to a, a mental health awareness week uh, appreciation session as well as an opportunity for us to delve into some of your questions now this is an exciting one for me because it's exciting the right word sometimes I feel like when you speak about mental health you're meant to be like kind of really calm and somber um, but as you mentioned offline so many of us are broken so many of us do have challenges and mental health is just another aspect of our general being which does need to be worked upon it does need to be intentionally developed it's just not genuinely going to be there in perfect state with us without us being intentional mm. it's it's interesting because I, I started off by talking about the fact that i'm feeling quite a lot of tension and pain in my lower back. And the first thing that I want to do is take proactive measures to address that. And the first thing I started doing was trying to address it myself, which was by doing a bit more exercise and doing some stretches. And when I realized that that wasn't remedying the problem, 
the first thing I did was contact an expert. But unfortunately, I don't think we, we take the same approach to our own mental health. It's just Agreed. another form of health. What, when you notice that you're not necessarily in a place where you need to be, do you start taking proactive measures personally to address those issues? And then if those measures aren't getting the outcome that you want, do you then go to an expert to, to address it? I wish we all did. I think, I think more people should. Um, because as I said, yeah, we're all, we're all broken. I don't think I've come across anybody who didn't have some scars. Uh, so as a result, yeah, I think it's, it's important that we actually identify the, the triggers, uh, of our own issues, but also some of the levers, some of the drivers that we can, um, pull on in order to make us feel better. As you say that, I think about what some of the triggers and some of the levers potentially uh, and for a lot of the people that I've seen, a lot of it has emerged from childhood. Um, the number of people I know who've had somewhat of a traumatic childhood, but in their eyes, it was just normal. It's striking. Mm. Um, especially if you're from an ethnic minority. Um, shout out to our people. Brilliant parents. Yeah. Um, but we no, right. deal with it. It's, it's a cliche that, you know, you speak to a therapist or a counsellor and they ask you about your childhood, but you do, they do that for a reason because you are just a grown child, no matter how old you are, you know, you're, the, the, the lessons that you learned about the world and how to cope with the world were shaped by five, six, seven year old you. And although you might think I'm smart now, I've adapted, some of those lessons are so ingrained that they're not going to disappear just because you're now, um, you know, you've now got a master's degree. Mm. Lessons about trusting people, lessons about being independent or not being independent, uh, le lessons about relationships. You're absorbing so much information at such a young age that subconsciously you're going to pick up useful um, help, but also a lot of bad habits as well. Definitely, definitely. An example of that is I noticed a couple of days ago my son said, "I've got a big, the bigger one." I was like, "At what point did he realize that he should value the size of what he has?" He may be referring to. A slice of cake or something like that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's going to become a chef. <laughs> um, but I realised, okay, he's now been at preschool for a month. And he's now been exposed. Yes, I'm being a parent blaming other kids. Yeah. Now been exposed to other children who are trying to justify their value through maybe what they have. Well, I've got the bigger truck. Or I have the larger bit of Lego. And that's now almost being absorbed into his own psyche. And I find, I find it fascinating. Um, and as you mentioned, we, we all have those instances of experiences which have shaped us. And I think it's important that we, we self-reflect on the potential damage it could have caused. In, in my early 20s, I realized that I struggled to love in the way that many people in the world wish to be loved. My love for me was service, largely because during my childhood, there wasn't a great deal of service received 
So love for me was, you know what, the way you can love people best is by giving them what they need and helping them to get what they want. Ensuring that that is always secure, never in question. Not realising that I was coming across people who had rather stable childhoods mm. and love for them was something rather different. Um, and it's acknowledging how that wounding came about. So growing up with absent parents, moving from place to place, that instability, I had to appreciate that it kind of hardened me on the inside, um, which sounds like a good thing, but it can go too far to the point where you are a giver because you know what it's like not to receive, but you struggle to receive. And thus other people feel as if the love isn't reciprocated mm. because there is a, a detachment almost. You are ready at any point for things to implode. Yeah, and listening to you was very weird just now for me because it felt almost as if you were talking about my life. The idea of moving from place to place, the idea of having absent parents and becoming hardened. Um, and... I think the point that sticks out to me when I listen to you is just that the reason why therapy works is that we're not as different and unique, quote unquote, as we think we are. Yeah, definitely. And by identifying some of the triggers that have placed you where you are, you can also see who's overcome some of the challenges that you've overcome and how they've done it. Now, that doesn't mean that the exact technique or approach that they've taken will also work for you. But it's definitely a great place to start. Upon reflection, I look back and I think about how that healing process began. And I say began because I think we're always continually healing and getting over our wounding, which mm. in our day and age is now mental health. Um, I think the first group which definitely helped it were childhood friends. I remember loving my childhood friends, absolutely adoring them. And I think the reason I did was that they unknowingly became a family. Mm. They were family because family wasn't around. So those friends who had actually accepted me for who I was became some of the most valuable and influential people in my life. Um, we have an old friend who, because of his influence on my childhood, actually picked my A-levels. Yes, I was that much of a waste man. This guy, <laughs> I, I went on the wrong day to go sign up to City of Westminster College. Salute. Um, <laughs> did not get the subjects that I wanted. Was on the phone to my guy. And he was like, well, you're good at English. Ask him if that's there. I'm doing computing and sociology. Come roll with me. That was the level <laughs> of influence that this individual had on my life influence which I would expect to have on my children's lives. So that was the first group I, I definitely think had that impact. The second were my romantic relationships. And one including the woman I'm married to right now, who I remember driving out of rubber high tunnel and her just looking at me saying, why can't you say you love me? And me just want to crash the car. I don't want to crash the car. Just, <laughs> just take a hard right. 
<laughs> take a hard right, go straight into the Tesco, crash the car. I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? Why do I need to say that to you? She, she had a very different upbringing. She wanted that to be said. And I couldn't say it. I, I, I just, I couldn't. Now, people will be saying, why don't, I, why don't you just lie to her? Which is horrible. But for me, I couldn't say what I didn't understand. Because at that point, I didn't understand what my love actually really looked like. Because of the world of Disney and Hollywood had told me what love potentially should be. I was like, no, 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 I'm not really, I'm not down for that. Yeah, the notebook, not interested. Um, But the third category was the one which really did it for me. And I think the prior two helped. The third was when I actually decided after well over a decade to actually step into a church. And it didn't happen instantaneously. It didn't happen overnight. And it, it took probably a couple of years, and it's still, still happening, where I realized that, as Abby said, we are all wounded. And the only way to be truly healed, for me, is spiritually. Going off on a brief tangent before I come back to this, having read large aspects of the Bible, what strikes me is how many mental health issues there were. You, you hear of the incredible healings, which Jesus did, the, the miracles, but the ones which just keep on standing out to me are all the individuals who, yes, they had some kind of physical ailment, but, but underlining that was a mental health issue, an issue of self-harm, an issue of self-loathing, an issue of just not feeling worthy to the point where other people, where that became a self-fulfilling prophecy and other people responded accordingly. So it was in that instance where I actually decided to go back to church and I came across people who were just happy. You know those happy people who are annoying? They're like, you're, you're faking it. You, you're just not this happy. Like, how can you be this happy? Are you seeing your shoes? Like, how can you be happy like this? Um, and I, I came across a man who hugged people like you were more than family. I was like, this guy's odd. How can you hug another man like this? But he just he was genuinely filled with love and not satisfaction because satisfaction is yeah things are okay but almost a a joy which i now know transcends understanding like a peace which transcends understanding and it was explicitly going through like an inner healing class to acknowledge some of those triggers some of those experiences in the past which may have led holes and instances where you may not have forgiven people, instances where you may not have forgiven yourself, things that you're still holding on to, and communicating things openly with people and sharing appreciation to those who actually have been there for you. I remember once um, giving you a gift, which was a letter of what you actually meant to me. All of those instances were so powerful in terms of bringing about better mental health and understanding that mental health for me is largely spiritual and that we should spiritualize everything Mm. well it's interesting because when people are dealing with addiction and i think people sometimes wrongly diagnose addiction as just a physical need as a physical requirement for for certain chemicals 
it's definitely a mental one. And yes. the 12 step program, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or um, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, one of the first steps in that process is to accept that you are under the supervision of a higher power. That's what they refer to it as. They don't, um, this, the 12 step program was uh, originally designed by, by, by Christians, but. Um, in order to make it more universal, they've taken the uh, Christianity out. out of it and, and just said you need to accept that you are under the supervision of a higher power. And I think the reason why that's so important is because it is delving into the spiritual. There's an element of understanding that you are not the be-all and end-all. And you are not always equipped with all of the tools that you need to overcome some of the challenges that you face. And as a result, you need to step into the transcendent and understand that there's something bigger than you that maybe has more resource than you do, which I think is really important. It's, it's, it's crucial. And I, I didn't know that, but it, it makes so much sense. And it's it's another instance where... People might not believe, but the principles still work. And I think that's, exactly. that's crucial. And if we're going to, to speak on mental health, I think it's really useful to speak on potential solutions. And that is one, to acknowledge that one, you're not alone and you're not that unique. And that the current injury that you're going through, wounding, has been experienced by other people, but can be remedied in the same way that I will not cry out of my leg being broken, thinking that I'm never going to have my leg again. I'm going to cry because of the pain. Mm. But I won't cry with the thought that it will not be healed because there's that confidence that other people have gone through this and they can get through this. Well, that, that was a, a 20 minute introduction to, to this episode uh, and I think a really powerful one welcome anyone listening to Expensive Lessons uh, uh, a podcast where company directors take the time to talk about some of the lessons that they've learned along their journey into business, entrepreneurship personal development and you're tuned in to a special episode which we refer to as expensive questions and it's expensive questions during mental health awareness week so we quite rightly couldn't do a, an episode like this without addressing mental health and the question that we started by answering um, is simply what techniques do you use to manage your stress and make sure that your mental health is pr pr uh, prioritized so You've heard some of the techniques that we've shared. The, the importance of identifying your spirituality when trying to overcome mental health challenges, believing in a higher power so that you're not just having the world resting on your shoulders when dealing with some of these challenges, but also reaching out to experts 
not just thinking that things are going to get better by themselves, but proactively taking steps to overcome the mental health challenges that you are you are uh, experiencing. And I'm hesitating a little bit because I think the next thing I'm going to say can be quite controversial, but I think it needs to be said. And I think it was said best by Dave Chappelle. And what he said was, the people of today have got a brittle spirit. Mm. Yeah, let's, 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 let's go there. Let's go there. I understand that my upbringing and my experiences that I've, I've had growing up are not the norm. Um, I never knew my dad. In actual fact, interesting facts for you. I found out what my dad's name was earlier this week. I didn't know what my dad's name was until earlier this week. Um, I was fostered as a child and then adopted by relatives. Um, my adopted father died when I was 19. Uh, we were incredibly poor. And the fear of homelessness was a, a dark cloud that kind of rested over me for quite a long time. There was a period where I'd moved over the last 10 years well, I'd say the I'd say ten years between two thousand and eighteen and two thousand and eight, I had moved home seven times, um, and it's for all manner of reasons. Um, and I appreciate that my experience is not unique. I'm sorry, not 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 the norm. And what that, as Afalabi definitely mentioned, was this created calluses. This made me tough, strong, um, but not impervious to, to mental health concerns, probably in some instances more vulnerable as you go older. Wow. Uh, but, but, but what it did give me was a level of resilience, which allowed me to overcome quite a lot resting on my shoulders. And from my perspective, as somebody who's gone through the things that I've mentioned, I do come across a lot of people who have got very brittle spirits. And what I mean by that is it won't take much for them to be knocked sideways in life yes. and and left completely disarmed. And my solution to that, as medically sound as it can be, is toughen up. And I don't say that from a place of, what would the word be, uh, maliciousness. I say that from a place of compassion. And what I'm saying that to, to the people listening is what you are going through now is very bad. I'm sure we've all been damaged, we've all been scarred. But this is the world that we live in. And if you have children, then the worries only will multiply. Because not only are you concerned for yourself, but you're now concerned for all of the things that your children are going to go through in life. And Jordan Peterson, an author who I think has uh, produced one of the most impactful books that I've read in the last two, two years, said something which I think is very powerful. Uh, and he said it from a man's perspective, but I think it can also be applied to women as well. He said, you want to be the, 
strongest person, the person that everyone can rely on at your father's funeral. Powerful. Now, I know that might sound quite sad in some instances. And I know there's probably women listening to this saying, well, why can't I mourn at my father's funeral? Mourn. You should be able to mourn and feel your feelings. But you also want to be somebody that people can rely on. And that is the main reason why I encourage people to toughen up. Because you're not toughening up for yourself. You're toughening up for other people. There's two things that happen when you toughen up. Number one, it allows other people around you to be vulnerable. Because they don't have to worry about lifting you up. And number two, it allows you to look at other people's lives and help address their problems and their needs. So that toughing up suggestion isn't necessarily for you, it's for the people around you. And it's a key element, I would say, of high-functioning entrepreneurs, high-functioning people, which unfortunately, or fortunately, we do live to serve. And you cannot serve effectively if the passing wind or if minor infringements on your life knock you for six. What you've just said is is unbelievably powerful um, and, and really should be replayed because there are so many layers to it and it is a controversial assessment but one which you've said aptly and with sensitivity. But it is true. There are far more brutal ways of saying it but the 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 premise is that service if you are brittle and i would have used other words if you are brittle you cannot uphold anyone else and if you do not care about that it suggests that you're selfish now no one wishes to be branded as being selfish but once we review the question we have to as abby stated Acknowledge that we are here to serve others. Now, many people are suggesting this throughout society, and the people who get away with it the most are elderly people. Um, <laughs> because they can say what they want, and no one can respond. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, because you'll have a, an 80-year-old woman who has lost her husband, a Caucasian woman, living down the street, mortgage is paid off, she takes care of front lawn, she is part of the neighborhood watch. She, she feeds the pigeons and you hate it because they poo in your car. And she will, out, will outrightly say, we went through wars. Mm. Well, you're complaining that your internet connections cough. You're complaining that they're taking you in for a disciplinary, disciplinary in your work. That someone's bad mouthing you online. What? Experience. Experience hardens you and... and as Abby was speaking, it took me back to conversations that Abby and I have had from when we were really young, because there's a stereotype that women are thinking about children from a young age. I've been thinking about children all my life, yeah. primarily because my childhood was crap. And that's, <laughs> I, I, I've always been trying to almost learn what I could do to improve my children's experience. But one way I can improve my children's experience 
is to impose adversity and hardship. I need to impose that in some way strategically to ensure that they are not brittle, for want of a better word. Because if I give them, I think T.D. Jake said this best, if we give them everything but what actually made us successful, we'll destroy them. And for so many of us, what made us successful in our eyes or the eyes of other people is our adversity. Don't remove that from people. As someone who works in education, it struck me how, how cases of mental health increased the more we spoke about mental health. Now that's fascinating. It really struck me how the number of young people who now claimed to be anxious and nervous, and so anxious and nervous that they couldn't actually go to school, but they'll happily stay at home and play Fortnite or FIFA, rose the more we increased awareness of it. Mm. Could it be that what was purely a natural bodily function which is, I'm nervous because I've got this exam and it's actually quite important. And that, that nervousness is what my body is signaling to me to actually be alive, be attentive, be engaged. It's now being seen as a negative thing and I need to a cocoon in my bed at home. There's, there's an author called Jonathan Haidt who wrote a book. Uh, it was called The Coddling of the American Mind. Very interesting. And he talks about how the introduction of exactly what you're talking, they call it helicopter parents in America. So those are the types of parents who don't let you go anywhere by yourself. They'll take mm -hmm. you to, uh, they'll drive you to football practice. They'll drive you to school and back. They'll drive you to all of your events. And they are constantly aware of what you're doing at any time. Uh, the introduction of helicopter parenting and social media has created fragile children. And he promotes the concept of anti-fragility, which is how do you encourage independence and resilience in young people so that they're not reliant on you? And this is part of the problem, which is many of us have been brought up in homes, either where our parents weren't around at all, <laughs> Or our parents actually wanted us to rely on them. Our parents wouldn't let mm -hmm. us out of their sight. And that creates an interesting dynamic. The people like me, whose parents weren't around at all, are incredibly independent and quite resilient to a fault. And then the people whose parents didn't let them out of their sight are incredibly dependent on others for their validation. Yes. They're incredibly dependent on others to make them feel better. And they don't necessarily have the tools to get over difficult humps. It's, it's the conundrum I'm in right now because I'm actively thinking about what I can do to impose adversity. I'm, I'm thinking of there are social clubs and groups which will help team sports is a fantastic option because it forces them not to not only rely on themselves but to contribute to a wider body to accept mm. that there's sometimes where they're gonna to have to sit out because they're not actually good enough yeah sorry um and you're gonna watch the game we're not not going because you're not playing 
But it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that you're already thinking about this because I would say that the main challenge for anybody, parents or otherwise, is do you actually have this mindset already? Because mm-hmm. I think you know, my, one of the sayings that I always say is that people are sleepwalking through life. Yes. And they don't realize that you have to be intentional about everything. There are people who don't understand their own minds because they haven't been intentional about it, about trying to understand it. And I would say as an encouragement to you, the fact that you are considering that question, that you're asking that question, means that you're probably a step ahead of most of the parents out there, unfortunately. Because most parents are probably just approaching it from a reactionary standpoint. My baby's crying, what does, he, what, what does he or she need? My baby's happy, that's great, leave him to it. Rather than no, asking no, no, no. that deeper question, which is, you know, why is my baby? Well, my baby's happy because he's claiming that his truck is bigger than somebody else's truck. Is that a good thing? Should we delve <laughs> exactly. into that? Exactly. That's not what we want. For me, in my stage, and for those who are parents or soon to be parents, look for environments which will challenge your child. Look for people who will challenge your child. Be intentional about the way that your child speaks. What did my What did Jeremiah say? My wife um, asked him how he found his dinner a couple of nights ago, and he said it was scrumptious. <laughs> now. Now, this made me so, so proud because roughly six months ago, he'd started using the adjective delicious. Why? I'd been intentional. It's not nice. It's delicious. And he'll just repeat it because he's a parrot. He's a child. All three-year-olds are parrots. And then when he said scrumptious to another person asking the question, I was like, tick, we can move on to the next level now. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, this is a child who, this is my child. He's not the brightest but he is a sponge, like all three-year-olds, and he will absorb what is given to him. If I teach him implicitly to be selfish, he will be. If I teach him to adore his younger sister and to, under no circumstances, react when she is being a one-year-old, he will do so. Um, there's, a, I'm, I'm pulling out quotes. For, well, one of the things I've said previously is about being intentional with your mental health. And one of the ways that I'm intentional with my mental health is I listen to people who feed me. So if you hear me quoting random people that you've never heard of before, it's because that these people feed me and these people help protect my mental health. And there's there, there's a, a man called Stig Heitzig. Yeah, it's an interesting name. He's American, but he sounds German. Stick Heitzig, and he talks about the importance of humility with your mental health. Because many of us think we're being humble when we're actually attacking our own mental health. Um, so when we think about hum- you know, humility, we're thinking about making sure that we don't value ourselves that much. And that, you know, we, you know, some people who you argue might be humble are people who play down their achievements or maybe are quite denigrating to themselves, etc. That's not humility. Sikhaisik said it in an incredible way. He says, humility 
isn't about thinking less of yourself. Humility is about not thinking about yourself at all. Mm. And I think one of the challenges that we face when it comes to mental health is but we've become so self-absorbed that the world rests on our shoulders. And once again, I do not mean this in a bad way. I do not mean this to attack people, but we've become so self-absorbed that we can't look outside of ourselves. And the problem with that is that you're not actually able to be intentional about other things because you are so involved in your own feelings and your own emotions. What you mentioned about your interaction with your child can only happen when you're focused on serving someone else and can only happen if you are happy to accept that you will not be the end. You will not be the completed article. A good example about that is when we think about success and wealth. So many people are focused on making sure that they are the wealthy and successful people in their family tree. That they take shortcuts, which means that their children are underserved. Yep. If you if you step away from being from from thinking that you are the one who has to live the lavish lifestyle and it may be your children, then you actually start to be more intentional, sorry, more intentional about their lives and their upbringing as opposed to yours. And we've seen this with our parents' generation who moved from a different country where they possibly didn't speak the language to give us a better life than they had. It's so powerful because as you say that, I think of a woman who shared her testimony and she's been asked why she is so humble because many people do not completely understand the environment that she's coming from. But this is a lady who lives with five to six other people in a two-bedroom flat. Um, A woman who has three sons, lives with her sister and her son, um, and her husband is not in the country and hasn't been in the country for a decade. And when she realised her husband couldn't be in the country and had to actually move abroad and she would have to raise the kids on her own. Her prayer was, God help me, purely just God help me. But because she came from an environment where her father valued education, even though she had very little income, she requested for her children to be tutored from such a young age. She was explaining to me after I pulled her aside just to interrogate her, as I like to do, that there was a time where she owed a private tutor £3,000. This was a woman who was earning just above minimum wage, who was deciding to get private tuition for her kids, who really should have been thinking, in some people's eyes, maybe you should think about getting a nicer home. This was a woman who was paying for her nephew to get on the bus to go to the tutor while she walked to work. Flash forward to the current point. Two weeks ago, her nephew went to Oxford, black boy, um, got in first time, sailed through the interviews. He's there right now. Her eldest son is studying in America um, to get a scholarship to go to university. He moved last year. Her middle son is currently going to a private school in North London for a scholarship that she found online. And her youngest son, who's in year seven, did an assessment early this year and got into Eton again for a scholarship. He's moving to Eton in two years' time, when it's year nine. And when you think about what she has done 
from a position of economic poverty. It's incredible because her mindset was purely on, you know what? I acknowledge that there's only so far that I can go with my own finances, but what I can impose and impute into my kids is a view on personal development, a mindset on personal development. And where that will take them is further than I can go. And I had to stop and just, just, just take notes. As someone who thinks and understands education, I hadn't realized that there's levels to this in terms of mindset. You're absolutely right. And when, when, I, when I hear that, I just, I think about the stories that those children are going to tell of their upbringing and their, their, their rags to riches journey and how that is going to be a strong foundation for their future. Because they've seen, they've been surrounded by a level of humility that is going to make them tough. And I, th I think it's important to mention here that I'm not advocating people just manning up or womaning up. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a level of resilience and humility that is bigger than yourself. It's accepting that you are a small cog in a big machine. And the way I put it, because we're, we've, we've maybe shared some theories and some concepts, and maybe we need to share another gem or another technique. When I am feeling low, when I am feeling discouraged or, 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 or sad or I'm struggling, I'm feeling anxious... I focus less on what my situation is. I focus less on how bad my life is and start focusing externally. Who can I serve? Who can I help? And it's so interesting what happens when you make the decision to bless someone else rather than focus on your own internal struggle. When you make the decision that, okay, well, I'm not the most important person in the world and I'm going to focus this nervous energy this anxious energy on blessing somebody else on making somebody's else's life an iota better it's funny what happens to yourself mm. um many people comment on the fact that i'm i'm a relatively selfless person because of all the things that i try to do for other people in some ways it's very selfish because I know that me focusing externally, me focusing on helping other people is just as much for me as it is for others. And I'm fortunate that I'm, I'm in a position where I can support and help other people and I can reap the benefit from that, the spiritual benefit, the emotional benefit from that. Um, the last thing I want to say when it comes to mental health, uh, kind of, links back to that concept of I'm not telling people to just man up or woman up. There are many times when you may be faced with something where being tough or getting prayer just won't cut it. And in those instances, medical intervention is absolutely fine. Not only is it fine, but it's encouraged. I would never say all you need to do is change your mindset because we know 
And I'm glad that we now know that just like any other part of the body, any other organ, the brain is susceptible to uh, defectiveness, for want of a better phrase. And if you feel like you've done everything that you can from a self-healing, from a spiritual perspective, I would absolutely encourage people to seek expert support. Same way that I'm seeking expert support from with my back. Seek expert support for your brain, for your, for your mental state. And that may be counselling, that may be therapy, that may be medication. I'm not against any of that. As long as it's done in an intentional way where people are still focusing on the other areas, on the physical, on the spiritual as well. To add to that, I would, I would strongly suggest anyone listening who felt their heart tinge a little bit when Abby mentioned that some people are sleepwalking through life to take massive action. And that might be, as Abby just said, seeking assistance, just being intentional, just using your phone for something else and to research who you could contact. It's fascinating because there are many organizations now who are offering assistance for free because this is now such a, a, a growing phenomenon around the world where everyone's appreciating that mental health is the most important health. If you do not have sound mind, irrespective of how physically strong you might feel that you are, you are a dysfunctional human being. To preface that, we are all to a certain extent wounded. But it's he or she who acknowledges that and is active in doing something to remedy it, who can function. You mentioned physical activities, mm. and this is often spoken about, um, but it's, it's often understated also. The physical benefits, of the, the mental health benefits of working out are incredible. It's, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. Uh, literally, there are moments when I'm in the gym where I could take AJ for, for, for probably half a second. Yeah, I could, mm. I could have him. I could have yeah. him. He might take the first four rounds, but you know, I think there'll, there'll be a rocky moment. I'm getting up. I, I'm, not I'm, I'm getting up. Getting up. I'll come off the canvas and I'll, I'll just catch him. I might kick him. Just, <laughs> I might just have to. There is, it, it's stereotyped often about the, the, the macho man in the gym who is, um, just, for one of a better word, just feeling himself. But there is scientific proof behind the mental health benefits to it. And I think beyond the science, it's the idea of growth. The moment in which you start to see improvements in one area, you will feel happy. I think Robin said it that happiness is, growth is happiness. When people are feeling that they're actually growing, it's because they're happy. When they're happy, it's because they're growing. Feeling that incrementally in one area it will almost become addictive. And it's possibly the only thing which is good to be addicted to because we are meant to pursue continual growth. We are that grown-up child who should still be growing in all ways and all facets. Go to the gym, people. Work out. Stay at can home I, and put on a video. Do something. Just that? start moving. 
I'd like to, I'd like to add to that. So, um, me and my fiance went out into the into the world uh, yesterday for the first time in a while because we wanted to purchase a couple of things for the house. We wanted to get the house and then just ready for living in it. And while we were walking around, we just kept saying the same thing to each other, which is, I don't understand why we're out right now. Why don't we just order this stuff? And that's the level of convenience that we have. We were right because unfortunately the retailers are doing themselves a disservice with shocking customer service and a really poor product range on the high street. So the temptation is to actually just stay at home and order online. You have a better range, you have better customer service. That's a, that's a discussion for another day. Mm-hmm. But the temptation for us to just stay at home and order everything online was very strong. And what this made me think about was the fact that we could be living a very sedentary life. All of us in this country. Yeah. You know, Amazon has the cheapest prices pretty much in the country for most of the things you need now, even including delivery. But the problem with that is that less than a hundred years ago, there were pretty much no jobs except for jobs except for positions held by aristocracy and maybe politicians there were no jobs that weren't physically arduous no Mm. jobs there were no jobs which didn't require a level of physical activity a hundred years ago even when we're talking about you know homemaking child rearing that was one of the most physically arduous jobs because a lot of the tools, a lot of the appliances that we have now to make our lives incredibly convenient did not exist. Yep. Hashtag nappies. (laughs) So, as a result of the change in landscape, we now live much more comfortable lives than our ancestors. But our physiology hasn't changed at all, hasn't moved an inch. The mechanisms within our body are still ancient. And as a result, aren't responding well to the way that we're living. Because we are fueling our body in many instances with more calories than than our ancestors had. Yes many more calories, but we're not doing anything with those calories. Except for maybe, maybe our thumbs are stronger. <laughs> but but as a result, that's going to really have a negative impact on our brain because our brain is actually the, the, the epicenter. It's the, the command center which controls how our bodies use calories. And one interesting fact is that one of the biggest consumer of calories in our bodies is our brain. So we've got all of this extra energy and we've got all of this extra time. Chances are there's going to be a mismatch and we're going to have to do something about it. So when we talk about exercise, I'm not recommending it as you know, some sort of lifestyle trend where you see all of these entrepreneurs doing marathons, etc. I'm recommending it as a result of you taking your body for a walk 
The same way that your dog will scratch at the wall if it hasn't been out of the house, your body will be crying out to you that it needs exercise if you're yeah. not giving it what it needs. Listen to the signs and be intentional. It's, it's fascinating because there are many of us who do this in other aspects of our lives. There are many of us who will identify anomalies or discrepancies. Well, that dress works, but these earrings, no. And the, 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 the shoes match the dress, but that wig's not right in terms of the color. We need to get all three right. And what we identify it in other people as well. It's, my hope is that we all stop sleepwalking and we're a little bit more intentional. And it, it it's links back to last week's episode, again, about pursuing personal growth. But it's the only thing which will truly make us happy. Can you talk to me a little bit more about sleepwalking? Because I, I use that saying a lot, but I think it's worth us actually delving into what we're talking about when we say people are sleepwalking. It, it hurts me because I, I see it often. And if I'm very frank, my response to it nowadays is, it's another one and they're just not on it. It's another one and they're just not on it. I'll give it a prime example. I um, There are opportunities which I offer young people and it surprises me how many of them don't take it or they're just not interested in it. And what I'm having to accept is that not everyone explicitly wants to improve. They do want to improve. They like the statement or the hashtag, beast mode. But any form of action or thought required to achieve it is, why are you doing that? And I've just accepted that it's it's so endemic. It, it was the pandemic before the pandemic that I've become a bit disheartened by it. And I've just decided to accept that people aren't on it. Sleepwalking through life is a state where you are no longer an active participant in the trajectory of your life. You are. That is powerful. Please say that. You, you're, you're no longer an active participant in the trajectory of your life. You are on a conveyor belt which has been preset by someone else, which is frightening to me. Which has a logical endpoint, which if you woke up, you would see where it's going. But because you are asleep on this conveyor belt, you are blissfully unaware. The end is off a cliff. And there are many people in instances of life where they have fallen off that cliff. They have, they have now woken up, but they are falling. They are falling and they're trying to grapple onto something to hold onto. They're shouting back at people. And what you are seeing is immense action, but ineffective action. It's arguments. It's being irritable. It's um, annoying people. It's showing behaviors which are seemed as unsociable or it is completely self-imploding and just accepting the inevitable end of you just crashing. Now we can have that in different areas of our life, in little pockets, 
But what we all need to do is just to stop and think, why am I actually doing this? And who does this serve? Mm. We are all of the age where we can answer that question. And that question is not expected to be answered straight away. Meditate on it. Because the moment in which you meditate on it, you will immediately start to just wake yourself up from that sedentary state. It is, it infuriates me because I work with young people who are sleepwalking through life and I'm trying to shake them. And I, I shake them to the point where I say things to them, which I shouldn't at times, but it wakes them up. It, it, it wakes them up. There were two black boys I was speaking to recently and I, and I asked them, can either of your parents afford you to be acting the way you are right now? It, it, it changed the whole atmosphere. And it, it almost gets me emotional when I say it because I'm like, do you, I, I know where your mum is right now. And I also know that you don't know where your dad is right now. Can you afford to be doing what you're doing right now? Can she afford it? There's a, I'm known for having very, um, very interesting conversations with parents because I'm a cutthroat. Like both of you on trial. So that's the parent. <laughs> because we need to wake up. We, we have to wake up. People need to understand that this isn't the after party. The race is still going on. You are a runner in this race, but you are behaving as if there is no race that you're all in the after party celebrating. Sorry. No, 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 please. It's, it's really important. And the only thing I'll add to that is there are some people who believe that if you're successful, then you can't be a sleepwalker. Um, I would argue that achieving success can make yes. you even more pacified. Yeah. Sometimes getting money, getting the house that you were looking for, Getting the the job that you wanted can actually turn you into a sleepwalker because then you think the game has been won. Um, and Gary Vaynerchuk, another person who I listen to, who's very powerful, said it very simply. He said it in three words. He, somebody ran up to his car and says, I need motivation and I need to, 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 to change my life around because I'm falling off a cliff. Gary Vaynerchuk said three words to him. He said, you're gonna die. And it's as simple as that, unfortunately. You said it. We, this is not the after party. This is the only run that we have at this. And we talked about it last week in the fact that people have got some significant regrets on their deathbed. And a lot of them are linked to what you didn't do. And if you are sleepwalking, then 25 turns to 30. 30 turns to 40. Real quick. 40 turns to 50. And then you start asking yourself the question, what have I done? And that's when serious mental health issues can start coming about. Because it's very, it's, it's very hard to, to recover from years of neglect. With the knowledge that you are the one who is doing the neglect. Wow. We have an amazing opportunity, people. An, an amazing opportunity. Um, if you are listening to this, you have an amazing opportunity. 
This was meant to be an expensive questions lesson episode, and it, it will happen. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm glad that we, we really invested time into exploring mental health and levers for change. Because once you can get the mindset right, especially if, if you're leading a home or you have ambitions of leading a home at some point, once you can get your mindset right, like that woman who surveyed her terrain and realized that, you know what, I'm, I'm never actually going to achieve certain things because of certain factors, certain things that I'm carrying. But what I can do is ensure that what matters to me the most, what is that, my kids, that they can. Be intentional and it, it will literally change the landscape of your life. For those who are successful, well done. Find a bigger mountain. Find a, I, I've been there. I have been sleepwalking after success because I stayed at the after party for a little bit too long. And I convinced myself, as many intelligent people do, that, well, the factors now mean that I need to be here. That someone needs to look after, you know, the bar and someone needs to look after the people who are still here at the after party. And, you know, there's no, there's no rush to start a new race. Boy, if you don't, you'll start sliding. Last, last word of encouragement from me is to surround yourself with healthy people. Um, it's very difficult for you to get well if you're dealing with mental health issues, if you're also surrounded by sick people. I don't mean sick, medically sick, I mean sick mentally. People who are also sleepwalking through life. So if, if that resonated with you, if you feel like you are not in control of the trajectory of your life, but you are surrounded by, by people who are not in control of the trajectory of the, their lives, then chances are it's going to be a lot harder for you to get well. And I would encourage you to introduce three people into your life who can help you along your journey. And these three people will have very specific roles. You will need a counsellor, you'll need a mentor and you'll need a coach. You'll need a coach to help you ask questions of yourselves that, that you're not able to, to articulate because you're, in, you're too into your own head. We all need a coach who can help us tease out our own potential by asking the right questions and having those difficult conversations with us. Yeah. Those conversations or those top conversation topics that are buried so deep that we just have almost blocked it out. You need a coach to help you achieve your potential from a healthy standpoint, from a professional development standpoint, from a personality standpoint. You need a mentor, somebody who is where you want to be, somebody who is living the life that you want to be experiencing because they are healthy, they are successful, they have a happy family, they've got a good job. If you don't have that person in your life, somebody who embodies the future that you want to hold, it's going to be so much harder for you to achieve it. Having a mentor who's living the life that you want makes life so much easier. And finally, you need a counsellor. You need somebody who's actually medically trained, professionally trained to help you through some of your struggles. I am not going to be taking my car to Nando's. I'm not going to just pull up and 
speak to the lady serving me at Nando's and say, yeah, no, there's a problem with my car. Can you fix it for me, please? I can't trust myself with my car. I'm not, I'm not, next time my car has an issue, I'm not going to just open up the bonnet and start tinkering with it myself because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to speak to somebody who's done the MOT training, who's gone through all of the relevant certifications, not only for vehicles, but also knows my car well, you know, knows people who have gone through my experience well. And those people, those counsellors are very effective at helping you not only understand your own brain, but also helping you overcome the challenges that you may experience as a result of the trauma that you've had. So that would be my recommendation. And you don't necessarily have to pay to have these people in your life. Uh, as Afalabi said, the NHS can provide you with counsellors, mentors or people that you're going to have to seek out, as you may have to do with coaches. But seek them out. And if you have to pay, it will be money well spent, I promise you. Because yeah. once you're actually operating at a higher level, your potential increases tenfold. So that would be my last word of advice or encouragement to people listening today. Afalabi, last word. I don't want to add anything else because I want people to really meditate on what Abby just said. Anything else is a distraction. We appreciate you. Thank you once again for listening. If you are listening, you are on that trajectory. But please don't become a passive listener. It is possible for people to sit in the room with Obama and just be in awe that they're in the room with Obama. We are not Obama. But the point is that being in the room is just one step. Communicating in the room actively listening in the room is another thank you people peace